Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to episode 91 of the world's first Paul Weller fan podcast. I'm Dan Jennings, and 10 years ago, I gave up my live streaming career as a radio presenter with one big regret, never getting to interview my hero, the legendary British musician, Paul Weller. This podcast exists purely to solve that issue. Welcome to Desperately Seeking Paul. And exciting news from the podcast, not only have we recently hit the top of the charts, thanks to all of you for listening, but we now have official fan podcast merchandise as well. The idea being it can help you to celebrate your love of the podcast and of Paul. Head to my website, paulwellerfanpodcast.com, and just click on the store button for more details. Now, in this episode of the podcast, I'm joined by bass player and music producer, Ernie McCone. With so many connections to Paul Weller and the likes of Mick Talbot, Steve White, Carleen Anderson, Jack O'Peak, Matt Dayton, and others over the past 30 plus years, there are some great stories to get into on this one. So let's do it. Ernie McCone, thanks for joining me. It's a pleasure. You were there during a real key period for me and an album that I've been listening to a lot recently where you were touring like Heavy Soul around that period, yeah, which was hard. Yeah, yeah. I love that album. I think it's great. I don't know. Not many people mention that album, but I've been listening to it a lot over the past few days. And it's like, bloody hell, that's a really, really great album. It's a great album. Yeah. What was that? 96, is it? 97? Yeah, 97. Yeah. Great album. Um, I'm not playing on the album. It's Marco on bass on the album. Who's, who's fantastic. And yeah, I've, I, it's fantastic like all his albums really to be honest with you. I'm surprised people don't mention it very much because Wildwood's on there isn't it no Wildwood's on Wildwood oh, of course so, yeah, yeah so we'd have had Wildwood would have had Stanley Road and it was off the back oh, of, of Stanley Road and recorded in a really live feel and then you were part of that live band so we're going to get into all this I'm rushing ahead but I just wanted to call it out because I'm excited about chatting with you let's kick off when was it you first became aware of the music of Paul Weller quite young actually um, I was I was a soul boy when I was young I had an older brother and sister who were into soul music and my sister Vivian McComb played as well she used to write songs and play keyboards I remember thinking who's that guy on top of the pops probably mid early 80s I was thinking well, I'm sure he was doing kind of rock music a minute ago and, and this is the Star Council obviously and I thought that sounds quite jazz funky and I was into jazz funk I didn't play it this time either so I was only a, a listener uh, but I could hear the influence of jazz funk in it and really liked it uh, and then lo and behold a few years later my sister got the job as playing keyboards in that band in the Star Council 
Yeah, my sister Vivian McComb played in the Star Council. She did a couple of tours with them, I think. And I was a bit like, oh, it's that band that I remember seeing on Top of the Pops. You know, I like them. I thought they were pretty good, you know. So, um, yeah, she got the, the job. And obviously I went to see them a couple of times and thought it was really good. And that was my first kind of encounter, really, with Paul. Mick as well, obviously. And then uh, it's probably years, probably about 88, I got a band together with some mates called Push. We were kind of on that rare groove scene, you know, uh, that, that came around at that time, just slightly pre-acid jazz. And uh, we played at the Town and Country, which I think is called The Forum now. And uh, we supported Curtis Mayfield. Nice. And Paul's in the audience And he came up to the dressing room afterwards And I was like, oh, it's that guy You know, that my sister's played with You know, he's cool, I like him And he said, I like your band And I'd like you to come to Solid Bond And do some recording So we ended up going and doing that We recorded a few tracks One that he wrote called Waiting on a Connection. I don't know if you've oh, ever heard I do know. Yeah, I have heard that. It's a lovely song. I know he recorded a version as well. We recorded a version first. And it was his song, which is on YouTube, by the way. You should, you should, I'll send you a link to it. We didn't put it out, unfortunately, and I wish we had. At that point, it was the beginning, really, of sampling and James Brown uh, influences and beats. And I was, I was a bit like, oh, it's a bit too songy, you know. And now looking back on it, we should have put it out because it's a fantastic song. And I think it would actually be a classic now if we'd put it out so a bit of a mistake on my part but absolutely brilliant song but anyway we recorded we recorded there which was fantastic it's written by paul yeah i mean how lucky were we as i said it never got released which was a damn and shame. what was it like a little rough demo of it at that point him on good yeah, he, he did a rough demo of it um his demo was great it was kind of properly recorded and everything and then we just copied it really um we had a singer at the time this was before seal um eddie who very much sounded like paul which is why i think he was like oh i could write these guys a tune easily you know um he had a similar range to paul so obviously he took to it you know straight away and could sing it perfectly you know we had crispin on drums who is still the current drummer of Push Me on bass, um, a guy called Nicky Compton on keyboards, Damon Brown, who's who's very big in the jazz world now on trumpet, Jacko, of course, on sax. Then we had a second sax player who unfortunately passed away recently called Christian Brewer, who was very big in the um, jazz world. And I think may have done a bit of work with Paul as well. I'm not, not quite sure. And then we, at that time, we had an, a singer called Eddie Saunders. That was just before Seal. So um, yeah, that was the band. Absolutely fantastic. And um, Mick got involved as well, played on a couple of things. Paul was brilliant to be honest, the way he basically he recognised our groove and what we represented. He could see there was a a new movement coming along, which ended up being acid jazz. Unfortunately, it didn't go as far as it should have for us as Push. But then we ended up, I ended up playing for, for Paul, so did Jacko. And via Paul, we all ended up doing other stuff, Carlene Anderson and so on and so forth. So it was a great kind of hookup for us, really. And he was a great influence over me, especially, and the rest of the band, you know. Well, we'll dig into some of these stories around those connections that you talked about. I kind of skipped a little bit because am I right in thinking this old thing for you, this love of performing a music and that was like, like really young you were like a child actor or child singer and dancer weren't you i did do a bit of performing as a kid yeah but i was always a little bit in the shadow of my sister because my sister was really really good she was a singer and dancer she did bugsy malone she did lots of acting and she was in casualty when the first runs of casualty she was in several films and to be honest she could have made it fully as an actress but she was really into songwriting and singing and it was that time of the 80s you know when lots of great things michael jackson great songs you know so she just got 
got fell in love with it and decided that that's what she wanted to do. So she ended up doing that. But she, she, yeah, she was the one that was the that everybody knew really. I was a little bit in the shadows. In fact, Mick always says to me when she joined the Style Council, she said, uh, she said, oh yeah, my brother plays a little bit of music. You know, and he's like, really? And she said, oh, yeah, he's got a little band. And and lo and behold, about four years later, I, I, I I've, to this day, I work with Mick Talbot pretty much all the time, you know. And he says that we were all a bit like, oh, I wonder what our little brother's like, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, I was always a little bit in the background, but she she was tremendous in her day, I have to say, at right. dancing, singing and, and uh, writing and everything, you know. I wasn't really a child, so I started quite late, actually. I didn't really start playing until about 18, 19, 20, around that time. Quite late. And, and <laughs> it's quite late. It is quite late because a lot of people start when they're sort of 15, 16. But I, it was, I was really into music and, and I kind of not got forced into it, but I kind of thought, what's the next step by the time I got to about 18, 19? And I, it was all around me because my sister, I don't know if you knew any of the Brit funk bands like Light of the World and um, High Tension, and they were all friends with my sister. So all of that lot were all around. So I was always watching live people playing at quite a young age. And I just decided by about 18, 19, have a go, you know, and here I am. <laughs> well, the, other, the other thing, obviously, not only being able to play, but the production side of things really important to you as well. And it was, it was around yeah. that time you were talking about where you started up this, this label, Boogie Back Records, Absolutely. which is, yeah, is going to yeah, tie yeah. into I mean, lots of our stories as well. So tell me about that, how that came about. Yeah, okay. So basically, yeah, I started playing, doing a few bands, got push going and stuff. But the whole time I was doing that, and even really at a younger age, I was messing around with tape machines and sound on sound and overdub. So I was always really into studio stuff. And by the time I kind of got out there, bought a bit of gear, you get your first tape four track and then your eight track, you know, so I did all that while I was at home. Then by the time things started happening, I set up a small studio in Muswell Hill, which Paul and Mick have both been to back in the day. Mick still comes up there. In fact, Mick has some of his equipment up there now. Um, so in the background, apart from playing, and also I realised there's lots of good players. I want to produce a bit, try and make some music that sticks around forever, you know. Late 80s again, early 90s, I set up the studio. First, I just started by hiring and learning how to record bands. Um, and as I went along... I started to, you know, produce my own stuff and work with other people who would come in and I'd record them. And it just seemed like the next thing to do was to set up a label and just see where it went, you know. And uh, at that point, there was still no burnable CDs or MP3s or streaming. So we did all right. You know, it was it was a good thing to do, you know, and we could literally record a song in my studio, mix it, master it, press it onto vinyl and sell about. 7,000 of them on a regular basis. Yeah, so you can yeah. imagine we were doing pretty well, you know, and we didn't have many overheads. We were using tape at the time. So it was all very easy. You know, it went really well and we never had massive budgets, but I think people could see the intention of what we were doing and how passionate we were about it, including Paul, who came down and helped on a few things. The likes of Max Beasley, Omar, Amisha Parrish, and many more really who, who, at the time, I, you know, they knew they weren't going to make a fortune out of any of it, but they were just totally interested in this situation of, of, of the realness of going somewhere and recording, you know, and as I say, the passion that we put into it. So, yeah, it, it was fairly successful and it's still going to this day. And there are more Weller connections with it around from, from this day and from last year, which we'll, we'll talk about a bit later on, because I wanted to yeah. understand around this time as well, you're kind of mixing both. So you're kind of doing the production, the record label, and then Galliano come along. Basically, Push didn't go as far as we'd hoped. 
Our singer left and became a megastar, and that was Seal. <laughs> right, I've heard of him. Yeah, yeah. So you've heard of him. So yeah, he was our he was our singer. We signed to Acid Jazz. We were one of the first bands to sign to Acid Jazz label with Eddie Piller and Giles Peterson. They were both partners at the time. Our singer left. So we got another singer and the new singer that we, we, we went on tour with was Seal. And they were blown away by him. They loved him, obviously. Everybody loved him. We did one tour with him and off he did that tune with the Damsky and that was the last we saw of him. So we realised things that this isn't going to happen, guys. Anyway, as luck took it, about a year later, Galliano came along. Now, they were also signed to Acid Jazz. We were all on that first Acid Jazz compilation which i believe is called acid jazz and alliance grooves or something like that he needed a band and mick was playing in fact it was originally steve white steve white's brother and mick steve white went off to do weller steve white's brother went off to do oasis eventually so they were left with just mick so mick said well i know these boys push we'd had them in the studio a little while they got a good groove perhaps they'd do the job and of course they knew us from this first acid jazz compilation so we got the call to do that we didn't know what it was going to work out to be but it turned out really it was the beginning of the whole acid jazz jazz rap movement really and we were there for many years you know then giles took it to talking loud didn't they so he, giles they kind of split talk- the like yeah yeah they split yeah giles the, uh, he, he carried on with acid jazz. Giles took it to talking loud, and we basically started touring. It became very popular, especially in Europe and Japan. Again, Mick is in the band again, so there's the Weller connection again. You know, the rest is history, I suppose, on that really. Certainly, those first three albums are terrific. So we're talking in the in, are, in pursuit yeah. of the thirteenth note, a joyful noise into the creator, and the and the plot yeah. thickens, which was huge yeah. wasn't it, at that time. Absolutely, I, I'll be honest with you, I loved it. I, I absolutely loved it. I, I do to this day as well. I think the whole concept of it and everything that Rob, who was the rapper and really the mastermind, everything he brought to it, I still listen to it now and think it's fantastic. The lyrics are fantastic. The way it represents that era is fantastic. And and I'm not sure you could do that kind of thing in this day and age, but it was a great time back mm. then and I really enjoyed it really really enjoyed it yeah there's a real energy I, behind it as well in, in absolutely isn't there I, I, absolutely I mean it was born out of samples you know like they would they would get samples and they'd miss it all together and then they'd rap over the top but by the time they would take that to the band it would take on a whole new level and like you say an energy would come for it because we totally got it we were like yes we totally get what you're doing here so it would create this energy and it transpired live really really well and it created a really good show I, I really know that Paul that. was a big fan as well because he referenced them and around that time Mr Weller's coming back his solo career's kicking off we're having that Absolutely. first that first yeah. Weller album on which Jacko played on, obviously. Max was involved. Yeah, yeah. Paul, a couple of times, I remember, turned up at festivals at the side of the stage and I'd be like, oh, Paul's here. And and then I realised, of course, his solo career's out there now. So he, he was turning up on a few of the same festivals uh, as we were, you know. So it was great. I would be able to go and have a look at them later on, you know. He seemed to be quite into it. He seemed to be quite a fan of it, which was nice, you know. Mm. Paul's musical knowledge, he I think he's fantastic on that level. He knows when something's good. There's no two ways about it. I'm very, very proud of of Galliano and I'm very, very proud of working with Paul because I think they're two fantastic things that I've been lucky 
to be involved in. So talk me through this then. We're talking Heavy Soul period. So post Stanley Road into his next album, Heavy Soul. Stevie Craddock has been part of the live band, but Ocean Colour Scene blow up. They're massive, so it's difficult to juggle the two. So Matt Dayton joins on guitar and Paul changes things around as well. So you join on bass. Galliano finished mid-90s, like, yeah, about 96, I think. It, it, I say it finished, we went our separate ways, you know, as these things do. You know, they last for a certain amount of time. So I spent a year twiddling my thumbs. What shall I do now? And um, and then I get a call to play with Carlene Anderson. And of course, Carlene Anderson was part of the Young Disciples. So it was all on the same label as Talking Loud. I was well aware of her music and was pleased to get that call. Mick, again, was involved. So they got me and Crispin. In fact, they got pretty much the push rhythm section again. Mark, the guitar player, Mick Talbot and, and myself and Crispin. And we start touring with Carlene Anderson, which is great. And then we get, she does a couple of tunes with produced by Paul and Steve Craddock, which were fantastic. Then we get asked to join them on their tour, which was even better. We go on tour. We do, I think, two tours with them, supporting them. I think on the third tour, if I'm right, I think Yolanda was maybe thinking of not doing it. Or Anyway, it turns out that she didn't want, didn't want to do the next tour. Obviously, I knew Paul and I'd been there for a couple of tours. So I'd been watching his show nearly every night. So I guess from his point of view, it seemed like an easy option to ask if I wanted to come and do his show. Obviously, I wasn't going to refuse that. So I did. Yeah, I ended up the next tour. I'm playing for Paul. He did just call me up, I think, and just said, do you, do you want to, do you fancy doing the next tour? And I'm sure it was something like that. And I just went, uh, yeah, all right. Ed. <laughs> I was a bit nervous about it because, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it's mega, you know, and I know Yolanda really well. So I was a bit, you know, I was very grateful that I was asked and, you know, she's an amazing bass player, by the way. So it was big shoes to fill one of the best, um, but I did all right, I think. And I did, um, I think I did two or three tours, I think. Yeah. yeah. So, so it was a couple of years. And so we got Europe, Belgium, France, Netherlands, Europe, yeah, Italy. Yeah, we, did all, we did all of Europe, yeah. And, and a couple of big tours in England as well, yeah. And it was fantastic. It was, to me, it was like another level, something that I'd not done before. And I remember doing Victoria Park. Um, I can't remember what year, but it was with, with Noel opened up for us. It was at that point that I realised just how big Paul was and how besotted people were by him. I mean, I, I knew that he was massive and, you know, we'd done all these theatres, but I walked out and it was as far as I could see there was people and they just went mad. And I was like, wow, these songs are just incredible. It, it really is incredible. I love that because they filmed that. And it was a really interesting line because Car- Carleen was on the on the support as well. Finley Quay was well, on the support. Ian Jury. Yeah. It's a really interesting lineup if you think about the the evolution of Wellis. You've got Stevie White there, obviously, on drums. Yeah. You've got Matt Dayton on, on guitar. Brendan Lynch, the producer of... Right, Samuel. Brendan, yeah. He was on keys at that point. He used to come up, yeah, and play a bit of keys and he used to do kind of sound effects and stuff. He didn't do all the gigs, but he used to come on some of them, yeah. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about Brendan. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, they filmed the Victoria Park gig. It's on YouTube. That's right. It's on YouTube. Yeah, yeah I'm really pleased about that because it was a big gig and it was kind of for me, it just sealed the deal, you know, that I did it. 
you know, and it, it was a nice gig as well. So, yeah. um, well, they're a yeah. nice pair of shorts you've got on, man. They look ah, <laughs> very hot day. Very, very hot. It looks hot. Wellers absolutely sweating a bucket. It's like but, um, and yeah, you're all right. Noel, Noel Gallagher kicks things off. Actually. I think Liam was there that night as well, backstage. Yeah, they, were all, they were all back there. Yeah. Um, back. And Noel comes on and says, for what we were about to receive, may mod make us truly grateful. I remember it very, very well. <laughs> and the set list around that time is really interesting because when Paul first came back as a solo artist he was digging into the style council and the jam because I guess because he had to in a way but then at this point there's literally not a single jam song not a single style council song in that set list it's all Weller solo stuff absolutely I'll be honest with you I was a bit disappointed about that and not not only that there was a little bit I don't know if it was just the time I don't know if I'm saying the right thing here but it seemed a little bit like oh we're not doing that nowadays you know like it like it had gone out of fashion you know i was always a bit disappointed by that because and i had the same thing with galliano really they were a bit like oh acid jazz has gone out of fashion and it's like for me okay the fad or the following might have gone out of fashion but the songs is always relevant however many years later and i always wanted to play some of that style council stuff so i was a bit disappointed i missed out on that if i'm really honest we did do that's entertainment a couple of times but that was about it really i was always a massive fan of the style council and i was never having a bad word said about them and that was that and so i was always a little bit disappointed that we didn't have those songs in in the set but you know Paul's the boss. <laughs> what are you going to say? was right, yeah. I mean, to be fair, it's not a bad set list. So, so we oh, kick off, list, kick yeah. off with Into Tomorrow. We're into Peacock oh, soon. I used to love Into Tomorrow. I mean, what energy that used to kick out. First song, you know. Absolutely yeah. brilliant tunes, brilliant tunes. And Wildwood, for me, I, I get goose pimples sometimes. Yeah, there's this lovely bit, this lovely little acoustic bit with you all in the middle. As You Lean Into The Light, which is a song from Heavy Soul, which I absolutely love. I think that's yeah. brilliant. Then Wildwood, Up In Susie's Room. Oh, Susie's Room, what a great tune. Science, I think, is a fantastic tune. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant tune. And I actually, I, I said to him a couple of times, I'm going to cover that tune at some point and do it in a soul. And he's like, yeah, all right, go on then. And, and, um, <laughs> well, it's, it's nearly 30 years on. Why have you not done it yet? Come on. Well, I will. I'm I'm thinking about doing it. I, I will do it. Uh, Broken Stones as well. I absolutely loved playing that too. Really, really good. Good song. The Victoria Park gig was um, Noel gets up and plays I Walk on Gilded Splinters, the Dr. John cover off of um, right. Stanley Road, doesn't he, on that one? Yes, he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. But that must have been a brilliant reaction. Noel. Yeah, great. Yeah. Yeah. They were on fire oasis at that point as well, weren't they? They certainly were. Yeah, yeah. They were massive at that point. Yeah. yeah. Talk me through what it's like to be on tour with the Weller crew in that period because I'm, I'm imagining, I mean, Paul's back on top. He's selling, you know, number one album, selling millions of records. It all got quite messy at that point in terms of after parties and stuff like that how much did you tell us Uh it did Um, well you know I I was up for it the same as anybody else I enjoyed myself immensely I got on very well with his dad which is always a good thing John which was nice he'd always have a drink for you if you you wanted one it was the same as any other band apart from you were just on a bit of a higher level really Um, you know you were looked after well obviously when I was doing Push and Galliano you wouldn't get half the uh, hospitality that you would have done with Paul so obviously I really appreciate that um, yeah we went out and went bonkers a few times I mean uh, you know I don't know how much I'm going to say about that but we certainly did I was a lot younger then I could never do that now but <laughs> I, I'm glad I did it because I really enjoyed it I always got on really well with Paul which made things easier I think there was a mutual kind of thing there which was quite nice we got very very drunk a few times and maybe enjoyed ourselves a bit too much I'm not going to say much more than that 
but not not too many times, but a few times. Um, I enjoyed it, man. That's all I can say. I really enjoyed it. We used to rehearse a lot, which I liked because you know you could really be get your thing down really well. And yeah, generally I enjoyed it. I was looked after really well. A few others on the podcast have talked about those rehearsals and how like Paul's work ethic. You're not messing about on those things, are you? Yeah, no, no. They they we used to really rehearse a lot. Now I'm a big fan of that. A lot of people aren't, and maybe we did do a little bit too much. But I'm a big fan of it because it pays off when you need it. For instance, here's a scenario: when you have been on a big night, the night before on tour, and the next day you're jaded, man, and you're not feeling up to scratch. Those rehearsals pay off because you can almost do it in your sleep if you know what I mean and I think that's part of it it's feeling sure 100% sure that no matter what the how you feel or what the weather you can get up there and do it I mean to be honest you can't do that so much these days because people don't have the finance to do it you know we all have to be paid every day and you got to pay for the rehearsal room and texts and blah 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 so nowadays it's like you're lucky if you get one day's rehearsal and so I, I miss them you know I think it's, it was a good way to do it but unfortunately I don't think you can do it I don't know how much he rehearses now Paul probably still quite a lot but yeah I'm a big fan of it and it is work ethic he used to make sure everything was right and I think I think people miss that a little bit these days yeah I guess there's also that thing of it gives you the confidence before particularly if, like at that point it's a new band confidence, that start, right? absolutely confidence is the word it's the key because then you can smash it rather than feeling a bit scared you know yeah. about what you're doing you know or, or, or unconfident and people people pick up on that straight away you know I'm a big fan of Paul's work ethic for stop I've learned a lot from him on that level as well. And he's also from the old school, which I call it in recording as well, where if you start something, you see it through, even if it takes days, even if you're up all night, you see it through. And and that's an ethic that a lot of the youngsters don't quite have these days. And I, I, I'm i a big fan of all that. I really am. And Rhoda Dakar talks on the podcast about how she got that work ethic from Paul. And now she's kind of distilling it down to her son, who's got like a young, yes. I think he's like 18, well, 19, she's passing on. Absolutely. I'm doing the same. My kid's both play they play for Maverick Sabre I don't know if you've heard of him oh yeah I love, yeah I love him it's great they play for him and I think at some point they were going to do some stuff with, with Paul's daughter so yeah the kids are now all interacting again I put that down onto them as well they've seen that work ethic with me and and they know that that's that's the way to do it as far as I'm concerned now, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about was obviously bonds are formed on tour when you're part of a band you're really tight and so many of these connections have carried you right through the last 20 years so we're talking like Matt Dayton Mick like Talbot yeah. is really yeah. big so it'd be lovely to talk through some of these connections so let's talk about let's talk about Mick because he's been there's another connection which is really nice which is the Craig Charles fantasy funk band oh yes 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 well Mick is one of the most unique people I I've ever met. I think he's amazing. He could be a stand-up comedian if he wanted to be, which as you can imagine on tour works really well because uh, you need someone like that. He's a brilliant musician and a very unique musician as well. His keyboard playing, there's not really anyone else like him. And so he has a certain sound and I'm, I think Paul would probably agree with that, which is probably why uh, he grabbed hold of him as well. You know, he's just an all round great bloke. And and yeah, obviously he helped us with Push. That's where obviously I first kind of hooked up with him. And then with Galliano, uh, again, you know, what he brought to Galliano was just amazing. He made it sound so massive with just the Fender Rhodes. And I, I was blown away by all that. You know, we toured an awful lot with Galliano and uh, yeah, I, I, I got to know him very, very well. We'd spent many many nights sitting up in the bus on long journeys and talking and and then obviously I didn't Mick wasn't in the Weller scenario when I was doing but obviously once I'd done it we had 
that as a kind of a, a relationship that we could also share stories of our time with Paul. And then we did Carlene together as well, which again, he was just amazing. His Fender Rhodes was just, you know, it used to just sound amazing and his Wurlitz are playing as well. And to this day, if I can get Mick on the gig, he's my first call because he brings something to the table that other people can't. He just has a certain sound that suits. I mean, Craig loves him because he's got that Ray Charles kind of sound that people love, especially on an old Wurlitzer, you know. He can play the blues like no one else I know. Yeah, to this day, if I can get him on anything, I, I will. I love this idea of Craig, so Craig Charles doing the radio show on Six Music back in the day, wasn't it? So this was, yes, this was the late noughties. And um, he does this regular feature where people have to vote for the perfect British funk lineup. And there's so many great people who are part of this, but you're, you get voted in. I, know, I don't know how that happened. I'm going to have to <laughs> And I was a little bit like, was everyone else busy? <laughs> <laughs> Yolanda Charles wasn't around, right? <laughs> yeah, Yolanda. And I think Mark King was even mentioned. I said, you've got to be joking. And, you know, there's no way I'd get picked over there. Anyway, I don't know how, how it happened, but I did end up there, yeah. But it's brilliant. So not only is this like a listener's feature on air for a couple of years with people ringing in each week or whatever, yeah. um, but then actually it becomes a, an actual band that is put together with no, well, that, you and Mickey down, C a part of it, right? Yeah, well, that's down to Craig. I mean, Craig, is he's another one. He's fantastic. Again, he's from the old school. And, uh, you know, when he gets an idea, he makes sure it happens. So he, yeah, lo and behold, he gets this whole band together. Yeah, I'm involved, Mick's involved, James Taylor from James Taylor Quartet. Uh, God, there was a few different lineups, but um, it was a bit hectic, if I'm honest. The Craig Charles Fancy Funk Band, you play... I mean, BBC Proms you play, and even Glastonbury, right? Yeah, did we play Glastonbury? Uh, I think we did play Glastonbury. Yeah, we did quite a few festivals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, because Craig, we did play Glastonbury. You're absolutely right. Yeah, um, God, it just seems like so, so long ago since COVID. Because Craig is such a popular DJ, he always had an in with these festivals to bring his band along. So it was perfect to do the two things. So we did end up doing a good few festivals, yeah. Right. Another really great thing I was in, I'm so great to be involved in, you know. And I mentioned connections. Obviously, Matt Dayton is a connection that's continued to this day as well, not only playing on solo albums. There's also a couple of wonderful connections we should talk about because people have to know about these if they don't already. One being Monk's Road Social, which yeah. is just this fabulous project. We've now had three like double albums of amazing talent on them, you know, led often by Dr. Robert, but Mick Talbot's yeah. on it, White. Jacko, Stone Foundation, Catherine Williams has been on some stuff. Absolutely. It's a great project. I'm a big fan of Dr. Robert as well. I met Dr. Robert and Paul at the same time. As I told you, they came to the to the Curtis Mayfield gig. Dr. Robert's fairly similar to Paul in many ways. That work ethic is there, that old school work ethic in the studio. He's a great producer and a great songwriter as well. You know, I'm really, really uh Chuffed to be involved in in the Monks Road project. Mick again is in there. Crispin, um, Steve White. It's just a great project. Matt as well, who writes some of the songs. You know, yeah. but he's such a talent, and he's, he's and a lovely guy as well. He's been on the podcast. Oh, Matt, yeah, yeah, I mean. Matt is just fantastic. I don't know where to start with Matt. He he never ceases to amaze me, to be honest. A bit like Mick, he's a complete unique character who you just wouldn't find many of him around. Where you wouldn't find another one, really. His songs are amazing. They're just second to none. And I know he's had a documentary recently about him, and rightly so, because 
you know, a lot of people don't know who he is and he's absolutely fantastic. I first met him in Mother Earth. Absolutely loved Mother Earth. Great bass player in that band, by the way. I thought they were absolutely brilliant band. And then I hook up with him again with in Paul Weller and I'm like, oh, it's that guitar player from Mother Earth. He's fantastic, you know. And then I get to know him playing with Paul and realise that he writes all these great songs. He's not just a great guitar player. He writes all these fantastic songs. And we used to have nights where we'd after gigs, we'd smoke a little and drink a little and he'd get his guitar out and he'd say, listen to this. And he'd play me a song. And I, I tell you, I, my jaw just dropped. I'd just be like, that is incredible, you know. So he used to do that quite a lot. I always used to say to him, listen, man, if you ever need, if you're ever going to record any of that, let me know, you know. So he did. He, he ended up, he actually came to my studio at one point with his wife at the time as well, Nicola, and recorded some stuff, which he wrote, which was absolutely brilliant. And then he did his own solo thing that, I played some stuff on Crispin and Steve, I think, at the time. And then very recently, well, just before COVID, right when, in fact, COVID sort of put a halt to it, he got Mother Earth back together, but used us as the lineup. I don't know if you knew that. Mick on keys and... Sooner than much later, right? This new song, a couple of covers. Brilliant, brilliant. Which Basically, that came about through Monk's Road. We were all doing Monk's Road. It was great. I like, you know, to work with Matt again on that. And it went so well. He was like, you know, I've been thinking about getting Mother Earth together together again. The guys, one, I think the bass players in Australia, the other guys in Japan, it's not going to happen with those guys. Would you be interested? And of course, we said, yeah. Before we knew it, he'd written a set of songs and off we went, you know. Unfortunately, COVID put a bit of an end to it, really, because it was really going well. You know, we'd, we'd really got ahead of steam up. The last gig we did, I think we locked down about two weeks after. So we were very lucky not to catch it as well at that point. We were all over the bloody place and we were <laughs> hugging and meeting people. You know what mix like? And everyone yeah. was signing <laughs> autographs. And yeah, it kind of put a halt to it really because obviously we then, well, as you know, what has it been now? Two years. And yeah. In that time, Matt got his documentary finished. Um, and I think at the moment he's decided that since the documentary, it's probably best for him to continue with his solo thing for a little bit, where he just goes out and plays with the guitar, which makes sense, you know. So we will come back to it. Maybe yeah, next yeah. year we'll, we'll we'll get back out there and do yeah. some stuff with Mother Earth, which would be nice, because that, again, is really nice, great project. And um, Dr. Robert on Twitter mentioned to me that there's more Monks Rose stuff in the can. There is. There's yeah. a whole new set of stuff, which I think he's mixing at the moment, yeah. which... Um, if I don't, you know, I'm not sure if I should say this, but I think it's the best stuff yet. Yeah. I like the stuff before, but I think this, this new lot coming is given the that there's so many Weller connections on it. I keep expecting suddenly Paul's going to pop up on something with that little sense. I think, I think I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say this, but I think he is involved in some aspect on the new one. I'm not hundred percent sure, but we'll have to wait. I'll take, I'll take that as a yes, certainly. We cover quite a lot of you as a musician, but we should talk about you as a producer as well, particularly around Paul, because there's two other elements that we should talk about from during this kind of pandemic period we've had over the past couple of years. The first one I heard was Stone Foundation. So they've done this amazing track, Deeper Love with Weller. And there's this beautiful remix, the late night jazz funk mix that comes from you. So talk me through how that came about. Okay. So Stone Foundation, um, well, they first caught my eye about a year before that, where I noticed them and I noticed that they were recording at Black Barn. I'd just seen it on on YouTube. So I thought, oh, they must be involved with Paul. And then, of course, Paul starts popping up on there. So I realised, yeah, they must be working for I spoke to Mick. He was like, oh, yeah, yeah, they're working for And then they got a few back-in-the-day soul artists 
on their records. And I, I was like, yeah, I, I like this. I think this is good, you know. And then I think they took off a bit after that. And um, yeah, and I think I had a couple of conversations with Paul around that time saying, yeah, I like them. You know, I think, I think they're really good. They were booked into his studio to do some recording. And I think Paul suddenly had to do, um, get into the studio to do some, something for Japan. It was all very last minute. Anyway, Mick said to them, Ernie's got a studio and he's got a lot of the old vintage keyboards like Paul, because they wanted to do a load of overdubbing with, with old keyboards. And I've got Hammonds and I've got Mix Wurlitzer. I've got Mix Hammond up there and stuff. So he said, give him a call. So they called me. I, I didn't know him. And, and um, I said, yeah, of course you can come up to my studio. So they they booked a couple of days. Mick came up with them as well. But I was blown away. I really liked the tracks. I thought they were really good. And I said to them, look, I don't normally say this, but I do my own stuff. And I've got this label called Boogie Back. And they were like, oh, right. You know, so I played them a couple of tracks and they were like, we love it. This is fantastic. You wouldn't do a remix on something, would you? And I said, yeah, I, I do a bit of that. You know, I've been doing these remixes. Mixes. I'd done Lisa Stansfield uh, and a few a few people that they knew of, you know, the OJs, actually. I'd just done one for the OJs. So when I played them that, I think they were impressed. I, I thought, well, let's see if they come back to me. They came back to me about two months later when they were a bit further down the line with the album, gave me a couple of tracks to remix. I loved them. I thought they were brilliant. And it was a pleasure and very easy. And it was nice to have Paul's voice on one of them. With the remixing thing, I always find if it's a good song and the vocal delivery is good, it's easy. If it's not, then you've got problems because you've got you, the music's got to try and overtake the actual song, if you know what I mean. But both those cuts were absolutely easy to remix because it was all there, you know. A couple of people have joined me on the podcast who have remixed for Paul in the past few years. And yeah. one of the things I'm, I'm so envious of, you think, but like having those split tracks with the, just the yeah. raw vocal, just having that vocal absolutely. on its own. Lovely, lovely. I, just, I mean, absolutely brilliant. I mean, Paul's was only singing on one of them, but um, Deep Love, but it was great. I mean, it's not even like a complicated song. It has hardly any lyrics, but his delivery of it is just fantastic. Really, really good. I like the remix. I think it works. I think it brings out a little bit in it. And um, yeah, again, really, really proud to do it. The thing is with it as well, the original is kind of like a... A dance number. You can, you know, you can hear it. Yeah. If, if discos existed today, it would be played in discos, right? But your version is like, it's coming to the end of an evening and here's that, you know, that version of the yeah. song. It's a bit more chill, a bit more mellow. We're calming chilled. down, right? Yeah, a little bit more chilled. And I kind of tried to work it more like a sort of mid-tempo Royersy sort of tune. So it brought a kind of, you know, a, a kind of smoother soul sound to it, really, which I think worked. I mean, I, I hope, you know. Well, I'll put a link to it in the show notes as well. And then we have to talk Fat Pop Volume 1. Weller was back last year. and Yes, another number one album, for goodness sake. Yeah. And one of the many, many standout tracks of an album full of standout tracks, um, Glad Times was on there, yeah. which is just a brilliant song. But October, we get a bunch of remixes. Of There's You mm-hmm. by the Soul Stepper himself, remixed by Boogie Back, a new version of Glad Times. So how did that go about? Well, that came about, obviously, because of the Stone Foundation, because obviously Paul then heard, I guess, Neil played it to him, and Paul then called me and said, would you do a remix of one of my tracks? And I said, well, well, of course I would. You know, I'm, 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 yeah, I'm going to be really honest. He sent me the track and I was very nervous about it because, you know, it's Paul. Uh, You know, yeah, I was just nervous about it. I don't know why I've remixed for quite big people and I'm not not blowing me trumpet, but I was really nervous with Paul because I have history with him. And I, I mean, I respect all of them, but I just something, I was just very nervous about doing it with Paul. It was something that, 
I wanted to be, I just wanted it to come out right. And I wanted to make sure that he liked it more than anything. And I guess because I just got so much respect for him. And I got the track and I thought it was very slow. And I thought, oh, like, how am I going to? Because he he was like, oh, I really like what you did with the Stone Man Energy track. And it's kind of like the BPM of that is so much faster. And I was like, okay, cool. So I was just imagining I would do a similar thing, you know. So I got the track and was like, oh, wow, this is really, really slow. And the feel of it is very... Very slow, and it's lovely. I, I could, I could. It's quite melancholy, away. isn't it? The beginning is quite yeah, melancholy. I can hear straight away. This is a great song, and the way they've recorded it brings out the melancholiness of it, and and that that's what's making it work here. How am I going to take that top line? and transmit it into soul and without losing all of that like how am I going to do that you know and I was like yikes and I remember I put it on on my headphones and I went for a walk and I just thought you know what walk around the block a few times and listen to it and think what you can do and he called me funny enough while I was having this walk and he said have you got the track what do you think (laughs) (laughs) and I'll be honest at that point I was thinking oh no what am I going to do and I said, yeah, it's great, Paul. I, I get it. You know, um, I'm not sure. Can I can I put a couple of ideas together? And he just went, yeah, all right, all right, all right. So he left it with me. I went up the studio and I, I but when I do remixes, because I play drums on them, right? So I do it all, I do it all from the drums. Like once I've got a beat going to the vocal, I can then think about the music. I have a wonderful guy who I should mention, a guy called Toby Baker, who comes in, he helps me with all my remixes. He's a fantastic musician who plays everything. And without him, my ideas would go nowhere. So he, he takes these things to another level, but I have to have the plot. So he comes in and says, what have you got for me, Ern? And then he'll take the chords I've done and he'll, he'll vamp them in a certain way or the bass or whatever, you know, but the drum beat and the, the tempo and, the, and the, the skeleton of the track has to be there. So I have to do that. So I used Time Stretch, obviously, with his vocal, took it up a few bars, and I was pushing it as far and far as I could go to get the tempo up without trying to lose that feel. And I finally set on, I did about three different things, actually. I finally set on one. I sent one to him, and he was like, yeah, I like it. And that was it. And I thought, it's not right. So I toyed with it again and I came back with the one that is the one that's out there. And he said, no, I much prefer this. I, I, I like this. This is really good. We, we should go with this. So that was it. I then went back and filled in all the gaps. And it's funny because people who hear it, who don't know the original, just know my version. They go, oh, this is great. You know, it's a great little soul tune. And then when you play, I say, it's actually a remix of this. And they're gobsmacked because they're like, I can't believe it's the same tune. So in a way, I think the difficulty was that. And I think if there's anything that got pulled off, whether or not you like my version, is the fact that I managed to do it in a different way, in a soul way, in my way. That was the that was the bit that I think I managed to pull off, you know. Well, that's what you want from a remix as well, though, isn't it? It's like if you're going well, yeah, to I think so, just going yeah. to add a different beat slightly. That's not enough. I don't is call it? that a remix. No, I mean you're you're basically you're you're taking a song and you're putting it into a different era or a different not necessarily a different era. You're putting it into a different style, so that for instance, a different um, a different audience will listen to it and see it in a different way. Like you do a house mix of a of a, a track that isn't a house track, or vice versa. Um, 
and to me, yeah, that's what remixing is about these days. I mean, in the old days, it wasn't. Remixing was just you did a rebalance of something and you might have a bit more of the drums. But nowadays, I think it's evolved into exactly that. You have a completely different version. I was happy with it in the end. It got some nice comments and I think he liked it. So that was good enough for me. That's all right, isn't it? That's all right. And do you get to hang out with Paul much? Do you get to go to Black Barn and stuff? Or? No, um, I, I've spoken to him a few times recently. We were supposed to go and record with Mother Earth at Black Barn and then COVID hit. So that was a real shame. We never actually got to do that recording, which would have been nice because I know he would have got involved. He's offered for me many a times. I'm thinking about doing some new push stuff, actually, which I should mention. Me and Jacko and Mike and Crispin have been writing some new push stuff and we feel it's time that that... that that should maybe re, be revisited now. So we've been doing some demos, which sound really good. And I'm thinking about asking him to go down there. I really like the sound of Black Barn. So um, I'm thinking about asking if we can go down there and hopefully he might jump on a couple of tracks, you know. Nice, nice. Well, that sounds yeah. great. Yeah, because Jack has yeah. obviously been, been part of the mix and I know he's part of the summer shows that are coming up as well. Yeah. So. Neil Sheesby, Stone Foundation. Um, you mentioned yeah. Seal earlier. I said, ask him about his Seal story. <laughs> okay so the seal story is this i love neil by the way he's great <laughs> brother she's hello thanks for listening I, I love their band i think they're brilliant okay so basically uh we we our singer left we get this deal with acid jazz they say you better get another singer so a friend of ours says i know this guy go and see him we went to see him he was in a bed sit in kilburn and he was his job was he i don't know if you remember back in the day but in the red telephone boxes in the west end you used to stick up things for like phoning up you know you know what so yeah. if you wanted a, a, a bit of a special bit of, special telephone numbers yeah. special telephone lines if you wanted a bit of fun so that was his job and we were like oh that's a bit rough but um anyway he was a good singer and we were like you know okay he's cool anyway he came to rehearsals he was fantastic we loved him we go back to acid jazz we say we've got a singer they say you've got to go to japan next week and promote the album because you're the only band on the album so we go to japan he absolutely smashes it they love him on the way back we realize that our tickets can stop in bangkok we, we've got a stopover in bangkok and it says you don't have to come back to that plane for two weeks i don't think they do that these days so we realize we can stay in bangkok <laughs> two weeks so we get out of the plane me and seal and the keyboard player we go to the islands in bangkok and um we get very out of it Anyway, Seal hires a motorbike because he used to hire motorbikes to get around and he has a dreadful motorbike accident, all like all cuts up all his legs. So when we're leaving, he can't leave. He has to basically stay there. Um, we had to send him money. His mum had to send him money for hospital bills. Anyway, when he comes back, this is about three months later now, we can't find him. Where is he? And we're ringing him up, can't find him, ringing him up. We finally, uh, about two months later, I'm sitting at Glastonbury and he walks past me. And I say, what, what are you, I'm just sitting waiting for a band to come, you know, where have you been? And he says, well, I came back, I'm oh, sorry, you know, I've been working with this guy. And I say, well, he said, oh, I did this tune with him on the weekend, actually, the weekend before, a guy called Adamski. So I said, all right, okay, cool. Look, here's my number. Just make sure you call me as soon as you get home. About a week, two weeks later... I still had nerve from him. I turn on the telly and there he is, number one. That's my serious story. And I, that was the end of that. So uh, we decided, I think we better get another singer, guys. <laughs> and, and then the next thing, he's 
well, the rest yeah. is history, isn't it? Brilliant. To say though, I did. I I hooked up with him quite a bit afterwards. In you know when he was in LA, and he was very nice. But then he went on to mega stardom, yeah. and that was yeah, that. yeah, absolutely different atmosphere, <laughs> right? Wow. Um, and then final final question here. Um, Alex McLaughlin on Twitter says, of all the bassists who have worked with Weller, who's your favourite, other than yourself, of course? Uh, okay, controversial again. There was a guy called Joe Devorniak who worked with him in the Star Council really, really early on, who went, who had another band called Eye Level as well. I was really into jazz funk at that time. And I was really into him because he could slap and I was into that kind of thing early on. It's a difficult one because I'm a big fan of Kamel and I'm also a big fan of Yolanda. So I'll have to say those three are my top favourites. I like them all, but Damon's fantastic as well, but I'm a soul man. And for me, those those ones are my, my favourites. If I had to pick one, I'd probably say Yolanda. <laughs> <laughs> Wicked. It's difficult, though. Hey, look, Andy, this has been so lovely chatting with you about these stories. Oh, yeah. I've got two final questions for you before you go, oh. okay? You're allowed one Paul Weller song for the rest of your life. It can be the Jam, the Style Council, or Solo. What are you going to go with? Oh, one Paul Weller song. Oh, I'm gonna, you're you're going to be shocked by this. <laughs> Okay. I'm going to go with the Star Council and it's going to be Soul Deep. Do you know that tune? Yeah, right. With Junior and all that. It's going to be Soul Deep with Junior and Jimmy Ruffin because I'm going to say that one because I was coming up at that time. I was into electro music. I was into soul. And I was like, who are these boys? And it had a big influence on me. So I'm going to say Soul Deep. Brilliant. I know it's controversial. I mean, of course, there's ones later on I love, but I'm going to say that one because it had a bit of an influence on me. Nice, I like that. And I bet no one else has said that one. They haven't. <laughs> um, and then final question, purpose of this podcast is not least to talk to amazing people like yourself who've got great careers and connections with Mr. Weller, but it's also for me to get the interview with Paul Weller that I never managed during my radio career. If it happens, what should I ask him? Oh my God, that's a really interesting question. Um, I'd ask him what what is his... What is his favourite era of of his music and why? Nice. What defines a great artist is that they've been managed to reinvent themselves through so many different eras and every single time it has been successful. So he's done that. And to me, that is what makes a great artist. I mean, it's, it's great to have done a, a body of work, but if you can keep doing that and keep people's interest through the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the noughties, then... So for me, which one do you like the best? That's what I would ask, and and why? Which one brings you the most joy? That's a great question, Ernie. Thank you so much for your time, man. I really appreciate thank, it. Thank you. My thanks once again to Ernie McCone. What a lovely guy! Another talented dude on this podcast. You'll find links to lots of the things that we talked about in my show notes. PaulWellerFanPodcast.com. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, you can leave a five-star review wherever you get yours. Make sure you subscribe and follow as well. Please do help to spread the word on your social media channels and you can get in touch on Twitter at WellerFanPod or on Instagram and Facebook, Paul Weller Fan Podcast. Next up on the podcast, we hear from Scottish singer-songwriter and another magnificent talent, Dot Allison. We talk about a very special collaboration with Paul and her latest fabulous LP, Heart Shaped Scars. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.